I know a lot of you listeners out there are brand new to the field and wondering where I can go, what can I do with my career. This next guest is is just super impressive, as as is everybody. This is Katie Brown. She is a CBIS speech pathologist, which means she's certified brain injury specialist practicing in Buffalo, New York. She owns her own private practice called Neuro Speech Solutions and specializes in therapy for adults with neurogenic communication and cognitive disorders. And Katie is very passionate about providing meaningful functional therapy to those with aphasia and cognitive impairments related to stroke and TBI. And it gets better. Outside of her private practice, Katie is active in the SLP community. She's an advocate for person-centered care and creates digital materials aiming to help other medical SLPs feel more confident in providing providing personally relevant therapy. This means functional therapy that actually makes a difference in patients' lives. Katie is a mentor for the Start Your Private Practice Program and is an SLP consultant for the aphasia app company, Tactus Therapy. And if you know anything about anything, Tactus Therapy is one of the leading app companies out there that has great, great, great resources. Katie volunteers for several nonprofits and provides a monthly workshop for brain injury survivors. In her free time, Katie enjoys spending time with her husbands, two sons, and a dog. She's an amateur baker, lover of local coffee, and an outdoor enthusiast. So I tell you, if I could write a description for myself, that would be it. Hello and welcome to the Missing Link for the SLPs podcast. I am so glad you are here. Today's episode is part of the Medical SLP series where we talk to some amazing speech paths who work in a variety of medical settings, all the way from intensive care through to home care and everything else in between and beyond. You're gonna hear some incredible medical SLP stories and lots of advice from these passionate medical SLPs. Welcome, Katie. Very impressive bio that I just read about you. You are real, and so many students and new speech paths are going to want to hear how you've developed your career. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Can you tell us a little bit about why you became a speech pathologist? What's your story? Yeah, of course. So I became a speech pathologist for several different reasons, all having to do with my grandparents. So I know the classic SLP origin story is I had speech when I was a kid or my family member had speech when I, when I was younger. Uh, Mine was actually started uh, when my grandfather had a stroke and he had a stroke and he had global aphasia. The only thing that he could say was wait a week. And he would say that with normal prosody, he would say, wait a week, wait, wait a week, wait a week. Like he was having a conversation with you. And I thought it was one of the most fascinating things. And at the time, I was going to school to be a, well, my major was linguistics. And I, you know, I was already kind of thinking, what am I going to do with linguistics? I'd always been fascinated by communication and language. So that's what really drew me to it. But then I think the catalyst was my grandfather having a stroke and and aphasia uh, was was the result. So it's something that I had never heard of before. So I took a class the next semester in cognitive 
sciences and or communication sciences and disorders. And I loved it. I was hooked. And then also uh, follow up to that. My, uh, my other grandfather ended up having dementia um, and watching that progression from being completely independent to going into an assisted living to ended up going to long-term care and just the skills that he lost during that time was also something that was very, uh, you know, near and dear to me, uh, mm-hmm. to, to watch him go, go through that and also just how best to support him. It was something that I wanted to be able to provide to other caregivers. Did you know from undergraduate school that you wanted to go into the medical SLP side? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love children. I have two kids, uh, <laughs> but I always said that I don't want to work with kids because I want to have patience for my own children when I come home. <laughs> and I also just felt like medical speech pathology is so diverse. Mm-hmm. Everything that you see, it's, it's, completely different from one case to the next. Your days are very different. It's not working on R and then working on K and G and then working on S. Uh, so it, it works for me because it really keeps me on my toes. It always keeps me thinking. And uh, there's so much to learn in medical speech pathology too. And it's a career that just can shift, evolve throughout your career time, career span where I started is not where I am now. And it sounds like even though you've been medically SLB based, you just have such a wide variety of experience. Mm-hmm. Tell us how your, where do you work now and how does your typical day work out? Sure. Of course. So uh, right now I own my own private practice in Buffalo, New York called NeuroSpeech Solutions. So my private practice is specialized and focused on working with adults with neurogenic communication and cognitive disorders. My main focuses are on aphasia and cognitive communication deficits, specifically post-stroke or TBI. However, I do also see individuals with Parkinson's disease and dementia. I I do see people with dysphagia a lot less now that there's uh, COVID, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but dysphagia is also a, an aspect of my business, but really the focus on neurogenic communication and cognitive disorders. So how long after your clinical fellow did you branch off into your private practice? And how many years have you been practicing? Sure. So I've been practicing four or five years. I branched off and started my own private practice after only three years of being in the field. Uh, so I would encourage, wow. yeah, I would encourage any listener out there that, you know, private practice, you don't need to wait until you have 20 plus years of experience to start your private practice. There are people out there that need you and need your passion and expertise. So I don't think that, you know, being a newer clinician is a deterrent to starting a private practice. I must say, I'm really surprised. One, you look young but your the bio I read about you, you just sound so just it, you're very you're very impressive, and to have accomplished that in five years um, demonstrates that someone with focus and drive can do that. Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I've always been a very hard worker. I have never really been content with relaxing and well, not, not, not that I'm not content with relaxing, but 
I always want to do more and I always want to learn more. And that's always been my personality type from a very young age. I just want to keep, keep going and learning and impacting. So that's really driven, driven me throughout my career. So as a private practice speech pathologist, how does your, how does your day work? You know, I say that I have the best job in the world because I made my job for myself. Uh, So as a private practitioner, I have the luxury of becoming a specialist rather than a generalist, which is a big reason that I started my private practice. So I have a lot of flexibility and freedom. Like I mentioned earlier, I have two young children. One of them is seven months old. So he keeps me up late at night. So I get to start my day when I want to, which is generally 9 (laughs) a.m., That's a good time for me. So I work from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. I see patients at the start of every hour for 45 to 60 minute sessions, whatever is appropriate. And I see a diverse caseload throughout the day. Do you have a brick and mortar building? Are you all virtual? I do telepractice, but I also see clients in their homes. Uh, Mostly telepractice now and prior to the pandemic, it was all in their homes. I never thought I would be doing telepractice, but I have transitioned to some telepractice and I anticipate that I will have some aspect of telepractice throughout my duration of being a private practice owner. So for those who are questioning and are getting out of their clinical fellow and thinking of moving into private practice, there is a lot of, was there support for you wanting to start your private practice and learning how? I know General Castro Caspam has her private practice, independent clinician, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And then what do you, how did you get started in that? Are you sure. part of that program as well? I am a part of that program. So I'm actually a mentor for that program. So I mentor uh, Jenna's new students in the Start Your Private Practice program. And that is where I got my start was in that program. Good to know. Good to know. So lots of support for speech pathologists who, when they're ready to begin their private practice, can do that. And then how did you decide to niche down into your caseload that you were going to be treating? So I decided to niche down, one, because it was something that I was incredibly passionate about. You know, they're just the aphasia and cognitive communication is just what lights a fire in me. It's, It's what makes me Uh, want to sit and watch tons of continuing education courses and, and go out and find new and exciting ways to, to treat these individuals. So I knew right away that I wanted to niche down to adult neuro. I also knew that my area was in desperate need of a specialist in adult neuro. We have in, in my area, we have several large private practices. However, they are generalists. They have Mm -hmm. And nothing, nothing, there are plenty of good generalist SLPs out there, but I also feel like it's very important to be able to find a practitioner that specializes in something within your geographic area. And that, and that was a lack in, in my area, which was one of the reasons why I decided to, to start my private practice, to have a place for those individuals that just had a stroke to go and know that they have a reliable uh, partner in their recovery. So for the clinical fellow or the graduate student who is in her program, any words of advice for her who, or him who might want to follow in your footsteps? Of course. So, you know, I think 
So as far as getting a medical SLP job, right, that's the first step. Uh, you know, don't give up. There is a place for you. Skilled nursing facilities are probably the most common jobs out there on job boards, and you can certainly learn some very valuable skills working in SNFs. You don't need to start out in acute care. Uh, you don't. You can start out treating all across the spectrum of adults, and you can always apply to your ideal position after you have a CF after after your CF if that's your main goal. Any advice for the learning that the new speech pathologist should do, focus on? Some learning. I think, honestly, I think that continually learning is something that we need to do. I don't think that the ASHA standards of uh, the 30 hours every three years is enough, personally. <laughs> I think that it should be higher. So I encourage everyone to learn as much as you can. Uh, you know, believe it or not, grad school did not prepare you for everything you will see in healthcare, not even close. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know that you probably just spent a whole lot of money on your education, <laughs> but it's important for you to continuously learn. So always find reliable resources out there like Fresh SLP, read the newest resource, research, uh, look at other SLPs you work with for advice and find yourself a mentor as well. You know, you're talking about resources. What are some of your favorite resources, Katie? Absolutely. So there are so many resources out there, and I have several that I love and personally use in my clinical day-to-day -day life. So the Medical SLP Collective is something that is just absolutely fabulous for anyone that is planning or wants to aspire to be a medical-based SLP. So a very large community of speech pathologists across the world, honestly, uh, and they provide weekly resources that are anywhere from research reviews to done for you in services to, uh, you know, different handouts on how to do treatment protocols, very, very valuable information. And they also provide CEUs every month as well. And that is a monthly subscription. I don't remember the price for that. Um, I want to say 30-something. I belong to that one as well. Yes. And um, every, there's weekly um, newsletters. There's, there's, there's just everything you could ever want in that group. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing that I love about it is Fresh SLP is for the brand new clinician. Mm -hmm. And it's really meant as a bridge until you can get into those bigger groups because then things in there, some of those programs, you just won't find anywhere else. Because mm -hmm. like passing year will give you your basic trach courses. But then the medical SLP, the informed SLP, all of those, they just really give you that deeper dive on some yeah. of those really um, critical thinking courses to work your way through those more complex patients. Yes. And, and you mentioned the informed SLP. I mm -hmm. also subscribe to the informed SLP Another wonderful resource for um, really any speech pathologist because they look at uh, the research for all ages, you know, from early intervention, birth, the mm -hmm. school age to adults as well. So I subscribe to their adult portion. Mention that. That's also a subscription and it's in three different ranges, right? It's Correct. Like preschool, then the middle school through high school, I think, and then the adult med SLP one. And that's like, five bucks a month yeah it's it's fairly cheap I think I paid quarterly yeah. for it 
Okay. That's a good yeah. deal too. It is. It's a very good resource. I love it uh, because, you know, every month I get very, you know, digestible bites of research <laughs> presented to my email that are clinically applicable, mm-hmm. which I think is the key part there, that they only provide research that you can immediately turn around and use with your patients. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little bit of the um, pressure off of the speech pathologist who's trying to stay up to date on the latest and greatest evidence-based practice. Yeah. You will never be able to read all of the research articles that are coming out. So let someone else do them for you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yes. Some other resources that I love. Uh, I love, 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 love tactus therapy. Mm-hmm. I am a, I am a consultant for tactus therapy and they're just such a wonderful company with such a great, such a great mission to be able to provide that extra practice and that assistance to people with aphasia. You know, I have, I have all their apps. I had all of their apps before I became a consultant for them. So I, so I've loved them before I started working with them. And I love that also uh, Tactus Therapy has lots of free resources on their website as well. It's not just their apps. They have tons of articles, uh, different evidence-based protocols, handouts that you can download and you can bring to your next session. Really great for anyone that's working with aphasia or wants to work with aphasia. I have some of their free things as well and some of their paid programs or um, resources as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of my go-to resources. Any other resources you can think of? Well, when I think of person-centered care, I think of Sarah Barr with Honeycomb Speech Therapy. I think that she is a wonderful resource. I do not personally have her activity studio, but from what I have seen, it is fantastic. And I think that it would be a really good one-stop shop for anyone that's interested in working with the adult neuro population as well. So I know when I work with students, um, they'll, they're really trying to figure out where they want to go with their careers, which is why we're starting this series with MedSLP. Um, but in graduate school, I really encourage them to take the time and look for those resources. So when they do launch into their clinical fellows, where time is much more limited and now you've got just productivity and, and other things that you um, need to respond to to take the time and search out these resources now and organize and file and, and do all of those things. Excellent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And your students are lucky to have you telling them to do that because there are plenty out there that don't give any resources, you know, and I think that that is a great thing for them to be able to do. There are a lot of free resources out there that they can download, print and mass distribute to their students to, to be able to keep and store in their clinical library for years to come. And I think an important thing that I want to pull out is any one of these programs, um, mine included, um, we are all, our objective is to support one another and support our profession and support those that we work with. And so, um, you know, these are not companies trying to make a buck off people. These are companies that and businesses that are led by passionate speech pathologists and audiologists. I know we have some audiologists that listen to this as well, but go learn, connect, and, and um, pick up on that, that energy and that drive 
and somebody else who has created those resources, um, use them. Yeah, absolutely. Just to, you know, just to touch on that connect portion. Mm-hmm. As a speech, as a medical-based speech pathologist, there are many positions where you are probably going to be the only speech language pathologist in a building or within a group of buildings. So mm-hmm. it can be rather isolating. And I think that building a community behind you of other like-minded speech pathologists and people who have been through that is crucial for anyone just starting out. I agree. I, that's why we have the community, the Fresh SLP. That's why. (laughs) It's a a community. You know, you asked earlier, can we put a plug in? It's a, it's a community where students of Fresh SLPs, new SLPs can come and ask these questions that they don't want to ask on, you know, Med SLP Facebook, where, you know, I, there was a student who asked a question about a video maybe a month ago and she got grilled. And I thought, oh, sometimes you just, you, you need to find, um, a safe spot. Yes. Where you can, and, and, um, you know, you're moving from your grad school cohort and you're moving on into, you know, finding and networking with other speech pathologists who think the same way you do and can support you. Of course. And that fear of being ripped apart by Mm -hmm. your peers for asking a question, for wanting to learn more. Is unfortunate, and these communities that we've mentioned, that's not there. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's There's, not. No, it's, it's not. It's support. It's support. Right. It's uh, mentorship, and Correct. it's knowing that you can improve. Right, right, exactly. And 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 honestly, that's why I love what I'm. What is happening with this podcast? Because guests like you come on. And other people come on and they're so passionate about what they do. And I want students to know, we've got you. We're supporting you. You're our future cohort, our future colleagues. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm very active on social media. And I get people who message me daily asking questions. I think maybe it's because they're nervous to post them in those forums for fear of, Mm -hmm you know, something, something happening. And I'm always happy to provide advice as best as I can and support other speech pathologists. I love taking on a mentor role. Well, in our show notes for this episode is going to be all of your contact information. So go look for the Katie Brown show notes section and the connect further at the end of the show notes before the transcription, but at the end of the um, initial part. Tell me more, any more about learning you want to mention or talk about? I don't think there's really any more about learning. I think that in general, you're as a speech pathologist that is medically based, every day you're probably going to see something that you have never seen before. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to be reading up on these things. <laughs> I'm chuckling. <laughs> I'm chuckling because, you know, I've got a few years in and I've seen a lot of rodeos and I still, Oh yeah. You know, (laughs) I started. Yeah. I, I, one of my, one of my favorite ones was I had a gentleman in my video philosophy chair. He says, yep. Used to have a tube thing, but I'm doing just fine now. And my daughter, I keep getting pneumonia. My daughter wants me to come and get this done. I'm like, okay. So following MBS IMP protocol, we started with the thin take a small sip, hold and swallow and bang straight into his lungs. You know, it's just like, Oh, and he said, well, how did I do? <laughs> so you're, you're just, you just got to keep eyes wide open, smile on your face, positive attitude. And, and just, 
accept what comes at you, learn, and and yeah, I just love what we do. And be flexible. <laughs> I love what we do too. I I am a lifelong learner, and speech pathology allows you to really embrace that side. It does. Uh, you know about the ACE Awards. Can you mention the ACE Awards for students who might not know what they are? Of course. So yeah, the, the ACE Awards is an award by ASHA for uh, getting, I believe it's 70 hours of continuing education within a 36-month period. I think that's right. Yes. Uh, so, so people who do a lot of continuing education if you meet the requirements of getting 70 hours within 36 months, ASHA uh, presents an ACE award. So you mentioned you have a young son at home, seven months, and I'm assuming an older one. Yes, How I have an almost three-year-old three too. So you're busy. How yeah. fun. How do you manage your career, your life, your coffee drinking, your baking, your husband? How do you manage <laughs> all of your passions that you do? Sure. So... I don't do it all on my own. I have a lot of help. I have a lot of help. I have a nanny and that is something I'm going to get real with you here. That was something that almost when I had to hire a nanny, it was, it was very hard for me. I felt like I was almost, I was almost like a failure as a mom for not being able to juggle all of these things. But I've learned that that's just not true. Okay. So for anyone out there that is a mom that has lots of career aspirations, just because you're not spending 24-7 with your child does not mean that you are a failure. You need to drop that mom guilt. So I have a lot of help. There's a lot of different paths that we all take. And one path is not better than another. It's just it's somebody else's path. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have a lot of help. I have a nanny that is here from seven to four fifteen, which is great. I my husband is incredibly supportive. He's also a, a business owner, so the flexibility that both of our schedules provide us uh, allow us to accommodate for random occurrences that might occur out of the night. Typical, you know, nine to five business mm-hmm. area, and. I also, I, I feel like I embrace the, the season that I'm living in. You know, I, I don't like to think of it to necessarily be work-life balance because I feel like work-life balance was a term that was created in order to make you feel like you're not balancing and to make you feel bad about yourself. So I don't really subscribe to that. I, I think that there are, areas where you are going to work more and there are areas where you're going to work less and you're going to be most more focused on your family. And I don't think that's something to make yourself feel bad about. For example, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to create content for a course for a rehab company. And I worked after hours for every single day for a couple weeks on it. So that so would I be considered work-life balance there? Definitely not. However, this past weekend, I've been able to spend the whole weekend with my family, with my boys, and and it's just the season that I was in. I love that way of thinking. 
Um, I do spend extra time doing what I love and that's what fills my drive mm-hmm. is in, 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 for me, my gosh, I can work all day on campus. I work clinics on Friday and then I can come home and sit and create still. And that's what I love. And my children are grown and it's, it's, you're right. It's not really the balance because if it's off, then you think something's wrong. I like the way you frame that. Sounds like yeah, a very healthy. I, I don't think that people should feel ashamed if, if they're not perfectly balanced, right? We're thinking about mm-hmm. a scale. Those, those mm-hmm. sides are never going to be even. Mm-hmm. Likely never going, I can't say never, but likely never going to be even. And they're always going to be shifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give me something to think about. That's good. <laughs> That's good. It took me a while to get to that realization. I did. It did. It took me a while to get to that realization. Uh, all of my sisters and all of my sister-in-laws are stay-at-home moms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am the odd one out <laughs> in that in that case, and that always just, you know, as a mom and as someone that has a lot of big career goals, that was always just something that never sat right with me, and it did take a while for me to get to that place. And it's always a work in progress. But that's who you are, mm-hmm. and that's who they are. And when we stay true to our choices, our lives, our values, then that's the important part. Mm-hmm. Not living somebody else's life Absolutely. by somebody else's rules or somebody else's decisions. So, Absolutely. I think you're going to be a lot happier person once you accept mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. both personally and professionally, work and life, right? You're going to be a more dedicated clinician, not worrying about outside factors, and you're going to be more present with your family, not worrying about work and, and anything like that. So next question about ethical settings. Mm-hmm. You're shaking your head. Yet. <laughs> Cause I ask every guest, is there anything you would like me to ask in your episode? And you said, yep. Ask me about ethical settings. So <laughs> what can you tell the, the new speech pathologist about ethical settings? Okay. So within my five years as a speech pathologist, I've, I've only been, I've been full-time. I started my private practice coming up on two years ago. However, I was full-time private practice about a year ago is when I really went full-time into private practice. So I have, I had four years under my belt of working in a variety of settings. I worked a little bit in acute care. I worked in skilled nursing home health, uh, outpatient therapy as well. So I have had a little taste of everything across the continuum of care. And I can tell you that my biggest advice for a new CF or a new graduate student uh, that is, or someone who is just graduating is that every CF is going to have growing pains. You know, that's the nature of being a new graduated clinician and in your first job. But make sure that whatever position you take, that the company is ethical and will support you. It's unfortunate to say, but there are some shady companies out there. You should ask the right questions during your interviews, such as productivity requirements, access to instrumentation for dysphagia, and expected hours and caseload and, you know, expectations of you as a speech pathologist. So, you know, I don't want to be too dim and grim. There are some wonderful companies out there as well, but I just want to 
bring home, just make sure that the place that you work is right for you. And don't be afraid to look for a new opportunity if your current position isn't working for you and they're compromising your ethical standards. And turn to your clinical fellow supervisor for support. Absolutely. I have, I had one clinical fellow student I supervised and and my word, he was being asked to do things and travel between all these facilities and do some things that were just questionable. So we worked on himself advocating for himself. Of course. And um, so let's take just a little bit of a deeper dive. You know, you gave some of the, you, the questions to ask productivity and, and you know, access to instrumentation. What are the answers to those questions? What, where, what is a reasonable productivity and what is reasonable access to instrumentation? Are okay. you talking MBF or are you talking fees? I mean, what are you talking I would say both, whatever is appropriate. Some some geographical regions do not have the luxury of having something like a mobile fees provider. So I wouldn't say that if that's not available, that that's not appropriate or you know that that's not a good setting for you to work in. But I think that you should be able to have access to the instrumentation that's needed for that clinical profile for that specific patient, right? Uh, rather than a blanket of, well, you can just change their diet if you're, <laughs> you're they're clearly aspirating. Just change their diet. You don't need a a uh, you know instrumental, which has been said to me a million times. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've also had things say, said to me, "Oh, you'll be able to identify aspiration more with the longer that you work." <laughs> it goes you're back. You'll 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 learn. <laughs> it goes back to the story I told you about you know, just a few minutes ago. He sat in silently aspirated like a large amount nothing there um so in essence you're saying that if you step into a setting one of the questions is is if i'm going to be on my clinical fellow do the patients that i work with have access to instrumental swallow studies where i can send them out or they can come in absolutely yes i think that that's one very very big factor for me personally at least uh, mm-hmm. I had a, a great, great deal of pushback from a setting that I worked in mm-hmm. regarding that to the point where they called higher ups and <laughs> it was not the best. However, I stuck to my guns. And do you want to know what? Mm-hmm. I stuck to my guns. I presented research. I advocated and advocated and it didn't change. Okay. So I left that position. There is, well, number one, I wouldn't just say, oh, they say no to an instrumental. Well, I'm quitting, right? We need to advocate for change within our profession. We need to present the research. We need to educate. We need to provide in-services. But there are cases where sometimes that's just not enough. Sometimes the company is just too entrenched in their ways or they're very focused on profit first rather than patient first. And that's unfortunate. And I think in order to save yourself, your own mental energy, your own personal, you know, your your energy is sacred. And if you are bringing that home with you, that, that heaviness of, I didn't do right by my patient. You need to leave that. So that's what I did. I, le- I left that, that uh, facility 
and I don't regret it one bit. <laughs> Here's a little trick. Here's a little HR trick because I worked for uh, uh, a SNF one time and had a disagreement with them regarding I'm trying to just figure out how much to disclose here I, where they were asking me to do something and I didn't agree with them either. Mm-hmm. And so I quote unquote, it went higher up and I got written up because I wasn't being compliant with what they were asking me to do, but I wasn't going to be compliant because I didn't agree with what they were asking me to do. And so I got, like I said, quote unquote, written up, but they, if you're in a setting and you get written up for something, you can sign the bottom of the paper saying that, yes, you had this discussion, but you don't have to sign it and say you agree with them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I did not get to the point I was written up, but you know, I, I certainly, if that was the case, would have done exactly what she would say. Yeah. yeah. I, stuck to my, I stuck to my guns uh, and they ended up caving, but they said, but they said, but we're not going to do this again. Well, so. yes, yes. They presented me with the, the writing up and I said, well, you know, I don't agree. And then they backed down and sometimes they'll push and push and push. Yes. And you do have to stand up and, and stand. And yeah. that's where that sense of community comes in, where you reach out to other, your mentor or um, your supervisor or other skilled clinicians who, you know, have been through those scenarios and say, it is okay, you are going to survive. And if you shift settings or you leave the job, you know, here's what happens. Or if you stay. So I think that just more on this topic, a red flag phrase for me. If someone higher up in the facility that you're working in or the company you're working with says, well, this is the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. That's a big red flag for me because that means that they're not open to change and they're not open to learning something new. And it's probably not going to be a very uh, conducive environment for evidence-based practice because that's what was said to me. How come all the speech pathologists before you could change diets at the bedside? (laughs) Mm-hmm. And how come you can't? Well, because that was 20 years ago <laughs> and we, ha- and we have more research now and we know better now. Mm-hmm. Being a brave speech pathologist, standing up. Yes. And you know what? It is not easy to be brave when you are a clinical fellow. Right. It's not. It's not. I think that should also be acknowledged that it is not easy to be brave when you're mm-hmm. a clinical fellow, but I, you know, even little things, I remember when I went up to a, in, in this particular case, it was a nurse practitioner who didn't believe, he said that he did not believe in instrumental evaluations. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. He did not believe. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah. He did not believe in them. And he said, well, we know he's aspirating. So put him on honey thick liquids and, uh, put him on clysis because he'll get dehydrated. So, uh, yeah, so that you can know, you can expect the standard of care. So clysis for anyone that doesn't know is a hydration method. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) so I practiced in the mirror what I was going to say to him, right? I had my list of summarized research. I, I practiced, so I sounded confident. This was, this was years ago. I, 
I wasn't as seasoned of a speech pathologist quite yet. And it was very nerve wracking. And I remember shaking going into work that day, knowing that I was going to try and get my point across. I don't want to say confront, but that ended up kind of being what it was because he was not open to change. But, you know, just do what you, it's not easy to be confident in these situations, especially as someone that doesn't have a ton of clinical experience, because they may just throw that back at you. Well, you you haven't been working for a long time, so you'll learn. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you should not take that as an answer. I agree. Mm -hmm. Final question. Any words of wisdom for overall words of wisdom or very specific words of wisdom for the new speech pathologist? Sure. I think my words of wisdom would be to bet on yourself. Okay. Put the work in, do what you want to do. That's what I did with my private practice. I bet on myself and it was one of the scariest things that I've ever done. And I'm feeling more fulfilled personally and professionally than I ever have. I'm treating the population and the patients that I want to treat. And it's because I took the risk to bet on myself. And I, I think that it wasn't, you don't need to do it in a risky way, right? Like you don't need to drop everything and move across the country or <laughs> to a different, you know, a different country or something like that. You can, but you, you need to have the confidence in yourself to succeed. That's a great note to end on. Thank you for your time, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP. Continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.